up Driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day I gotta see I gotta look around I got diesel smoke rolling From two crumb stacks My address is 408-414 A big blue mag Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day Sunshine Road back with us today, and we're going to hear Kevin and Rochelle's testimonies today on our program. And this song here is by Kevin and Rochelle. It's Life's Lonely Highway, and I think this fits not only their testimonies, but also fits our ministry. I want to put that on for you first. Let's do it. There was pain in my eyes My heart was slowly breaking As I took another hit of speed And drank my whiskey down I could see my mama cry As I come down off my high It wasn't an escape But a prison that I found I have traveled Life's lonely highway I have slept out In the rain 
I've been cold, Lord. I've been hungry. I'll never have to travel that lonely road again. Lived on hell's half acre Down to my rope's end Spent all my money I lost every friend Colored flowers of madness Blossomed in my mind Stealing time from heaven Ain't been no easy ride I have traveled life's lonely highway I have slept out in the rain I've been cold, Lord, I've been hungry Never have to travel that lonely road again As I grew older, I done my time. Jesus picked me up when I reached the end of the line. I know you enjoyed that. What an awesome song by Kevin Nelson. And now we've got the testimony of Kevin Nelson. Well, I like to always stress that I've, I've lived most of my life in a world of self-inflicted misery. Uh, throughout recovery, I've seen so many people that talk about, well, they had an abused childhood. They had They lived in the bad part of town. All these influences that that might have directed them into drug and alcohol abuse. I can't say that. I, uh, I come from a pretty normal childhood, middle class, uh, an only child, so I was really kind of spoiled. My parents divorced when I was like 11, 12 years old, and uh, my mom was a churchgoer, my dad wasn't. After they separated, my dad, for whatever reason, decided to start going back to church. I don't know if he thought it would bring mom back or what, but it didn't. But both of them started walking with the Lord separately. And that was 
whenever mom started dragging me to church in you know early teens as soon as I was old enough to make my own decisions about that I quit going to church and that's when I discovered pot in school and I became one of those kids that just sat in the basement and smoked pot when they weren't actually in school I moved back in with my dad he was single my mom had remarried to this awesome guy that had three kids of his own so but I figured you know my dad's all by himself in his house so I moved in with him and my dad lived his life upstairs as a Christian and he just let me live my life as I as any 16 17 year old kid chooses when I chose a lot of pot I graduated in from high school in 1982 and immediately joined the army because I didn't have I didn't I just didn't have any ambition for anything. I joined the Army and joined in the let me see, uh, field artillery, a 13 Bravo, learned how to shoot cannons, which there's really not a good large calling for that once you get out of the Army. Uh, but, so it was just a way to, to get, gain some experiences. And that was when Ronald Reagan was president, and they were getting that get-tough-on-drugs policy in the military. So... I set marijuana aside, easy enough, it wasn't no problem, especially since a lot of my army buddies introduced me to the world of, of uh, whiskey and liquor and beer, and I could still get high, just do it legal. So I learned, I really learned how to drink in the army, and that's, that was the beginning through high school and the army, the beginning of my poor choices that I can't blame anybody for but myself. So I got out of the army in 87 and went into construction, there's another line of work that is notorious for not being the most Christian people. I didn't ever feel convicted by the Lord for how I was living, and I was drinking like a fish. We got on into uh, the early 90s, and my construction job fell through. I, I actually went to truck driving school. And then uh, I drove a semi for about a year for Riss International, Crooked R. And I find it really takes a special kind of person to drive a truck. But not only that, it takes a special kind of spouse to sit at home. And uh, both of them have to be on the same page. I could drive good enough. I could actually set aside a lot of my drinking while I was driving. I didn't want to kill anybody. But my money that I was earning was being sent home direct deposit. And my wife decided that uh, she wasn't going to be exactly the most responsible person with that money. She wouldn't pay any bills and she picked up a cocaine habit so I kind of quit driving a truck and that's not the one I'm married to now that was my first wife so I, you know I quit driving a, a semi because we couldn't make a family life together that way because I have all the respect in the world for truck drivers because it is not an easy road and I know each and every one of them need Jesus Christ in their lives hopefully by the time this gets out there a few more will have Jesus Christ in their life but uh, I quit driving a truck and went back to construction for a while, and I loved to drink alcohol so much that I would be passing out too early. Nine, ten o'clock in the evening, I'd be passing out. Somebody introduced me to cocaine and methamphetamine mix. Well, that would allow me to stay awake a whole lot longer and drink. So uh, I started doing that, working my construction job, and then went straight to meth and drinking and come to find out that uh, getting on methamphetamine I kind of started losing my desire to drink it really started taking over my addictions 
and then it started affecting my job. I didn't want to go into work because I had to stay high. And without a job, you're not having an income. So uh, some fellas asked me to help them make some meth. So I be- got involved in making it. And pretty soon I decided I could do a better job than them on making it and selling it. And that way I could, you know, try to pay my bills. I could stay high and just kind of live a good life, at least what I thought. So at that time I had a nephew of mine. I was the cool uncle. This 18-year-old nephew of mine was living with me. And he was on house arrest. He had home planned to my house. So he had the ankle bracelet on and the telephone monitor hooked up to my phone. Me and him had gotten some crank, I don't know, half a gram or something, one night. It wasn't very good, and he got kind of upset. Now, he used to be kind of the strong, strong-arm guy in his little gang. So he thought he was going to go make it right. He was going to go back to that dealer's house and either get our money back or he was going to get us some higher-quality crank. So I told him, okay, I'll go with you. I'll ride, no problem. He wouldn't let me. He left, and 20 minutes later, I get a phone call. Hey, he's lying dead in our basement. Uh, to make a long story short, he, uh, the police ruled it accidental suicide, 44 Magnum to the back of the head. Supposedly they were playing Russian roulette, which I thought was rather strange, uh, the 44 from, to the back of the head, but it was an obvious drug situation, and I don't think the police in that area really wanted to get too involved in that, so it was kind of swept under the rug. But to, after that, I didn't make any any pretenses of being an upstanding individual. I, I jumped into making meth, selling meth, and carrying guns. I, I always had at least one gun on me, usually two, and just living that life that you would, you would think, and, it, and it's not a, a good life to live. I did that until somebody decided they were going to rob me, which is why I carried guns to keep from getting robbed. I, I packed them for defensive purposes. So this one guy set fire to my house with my family upstairs. I had my lab in the basement, and that's where he set the fire. So while we were evacuating the house and trying to, well, the, the flames were too much to try to fight, but we got, because there were several kids in my house and a couple of families, we were getting them out of the house. He was going out the back door with a lot of stuff he was stealing from me. While the fire department was there putting out the fire I thought oh my lord and I wasn't praying I thought oh my lord I know what they're going to find so I loaded up my wife and kids and we hit the road I wasn't going to hang around so they kind of put me on Kansas City's most wanted for a bit we lived on the run for a few months and I finally got caught because you can't run forever just like you can't run from the lord you can't run from the police so they uh, arrested me they give me a $50,000 bail, and this other business associate decided they would pay 10% of that to the bondsman, and they got me out for $5,000. And the way I had to pay them back was to make a bunch of meth for them, so I just went right back into doing that. It didn't take but three or four weeks of that, and I got arrested on a new manufacturing charge. I got busted in a house full of teenagers which didn't look good. I was the only adult. So that's, I'm certainly not bragging about anything, any of this. It's, it's stuff that I really hate that I have done, but it's just part of my story. 
So they, I got arrested again. This time they only put a, a $10,000 bond on me, which I thought was strange. So it was easy to make, pay 10% and, and get out. And I got out, had two, three pending charges, uh, manufacturing, distribution, plus uh, possession, plus a second manufacturing. So I'm out on bond, and I go right back to doing it again because that's the only way I figure I can make money. It's another stupid decision. And it didn't take but three or four weeks, and I got arrested again for a third, in a third lab, manufacturing. This time the judge said, okay, we, we know where this is going. $450,000 cash-only bond. And I didn't have 450000 so I stayed in jail. I still had no guilt feelings about this stuff. Uh, I, was, I didn't feel convicted by the Lord. I just was going to wait it out and see what was going to happen. When I wound up getting sentenced to these crimes, I was sentenced to 19 years in the Missouri Department of Corrections, which kind of took the wind out of my sails, but, but uh, I figured, okay, I'll do it. And I went into prison. I spent six years flat in prison and made parole. Now, I hadn't changed one bit. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was on work release in prison, I had found a $20 bill out on the road because I would be working on a road crew, picking up trash or cutting brush for the Department of Transportation. Well, we weren't allowed money, obviously, but I, I found a $20 bill and I, and I stashed it. I creatively got it into the prison. And I put it in my uh, photo album behind a picture. And I knew what I was going to do with it. I was going to get me my first bottle at, my, at the first opportunity when I got out. About three days after I got out on parole, that's what I did. I got out that photo album, got that $20 bill, and bought me my first bottle. So I hadn't changed one bit. I was a bit more careful. I got uh, back into meth making it. I didn't get into selling it. I didn't get into partying with other people. I just fed my own addiction. And uh, by this time, my first wife had divorced me. I'd met another lady, and we had gotten married. I had a, we had a little girl. And uh, I was still dead into meth. All of the selfish aspects of addiction I was guilty of. Uh, I was rummaging through the car seats looking for change so I could, you know, buy me some booze while we, uh, electricity was getting cut off or water was getting shut off. And that's not a good way to live. I didn't really give a hoot at the time, as long as I was either drunk or high. So while I'm at work on my construction job, right after I get off parole on an early release, I got my lab at our, in our trailer. The police come to the, the trailer while I'm at work and want to search the place. And my wife inadvertently gave them permission to enter. So they found a lab arrested me whenever I pulled in the driveway after work. And this time when I got locked up, I thought, my God, what am I doing? What am I doing? I started looking back at my whole life, and I really got angry at myself. And I, I, I started finding out what real depression was. I never thought of myself as a depressed person. I still don't think I've ever been suicidal, but, but just 
hating myself that way and being so depressed about what I had done, it, it's, I hate to think of other people's people going through that. At any rate, I didn't make bond. While I was in jail, I, I hit my knees. In jail, it's easy to find a Bible. They're everywhere inside a jail cell. They're inside a tank, inside the wings. So I started reading the Bible. I read it cover to cover and felt a little bit better. Still had all these negative feelings towards myself. So I read, I read the Bible again cover to cover. Felt a little bit better. But still, I, something was missing. I read it again, and then I got to this, uh, this parable that Jesus said. Now, I had read where Jesus, if you accept Him, if you repent from your sins, you'll be forgiven. I repented every day, multiple times a day, over and over, for what I had done. I, I mean, I was just constantly repenting, but I wasn't feeling any better. And I thought, you know, I do believe in God. I do believe in Jesus Christ. I do believe in His Word. Why aren't I feeling better? Well, I got to this parable, and it, and it finally hit me. It was about a king that, that there was a, one of his servants owed him money, and he was going to have that servant thrown in jail, in prison. The servant begged him you know, not to. So the king says, okay, I will forgive you of your debts. But then this other debtor owed that servant money. And that servant would not forgive that debt. And he had that, that debtor thrown in prison. And of course, that upset the king. And it finally hit me, you know what? The Lord says I'm forgiving and forgiven if I repent. And I'm repenting constantly. Why can't I forgive myself? And it hit me that if God says I'm forgiven, I have to forgive myself. Because if I'm not forgiving myself after God says I'm forgiving, I'm calling God a liar. If I'm calling God a liar, I'm putting myself above God. I'm telling Him that I know more than Him. And it struck me as I can't, I, I, I have to accept God's forgiveness. I hit my knees and, and I said, wait a minute. I have repented. And you say I am forgiven if I repented. I have to forgive myself. And the moment, that's that, that lightning bolt moment that it hit me. It's, oh my goodness, I am forgiven. I don't hate myself. And that's whenever truly the old man died. And I was, I was just so full of, of light. I was light on my feet. I was dizzy. I started going to every Bible study in the, in the actual pod that we were in. And I was testifying, hey, this right here has opened my eyes. Well, I went to the very first prison ministry or jailhouse ministry session then uh, where you had to sign out and these people from the streets came in for a Bible study. I, I went in with the group for the first time then. And they went... It's in Matthew, and I don't remember the exact chapter. But what their story was at my very first Bible study was the parable about the king that was going to have the servant thrown in jail. And I thought, well, that's a coincidence. And then I found out, you know what, there, there is no coincidences with the Lord. That was confirmation. I just didn't really realize that's what it was at the time. But it really made me feel good to hear that 
parable in a big old group of guys, some of them being you know people from the streets. And it turned my life around in prison. So I got sentenced to another 15 years. And I, w- I went back to the Missouri Department of Corrections. That time I was, I was put into maximum security because of my history. And in maximum security, you're, you're in lockdown 20, 23 hours a day. They let you out to eat. They let you out for like a 20-minute walk around the inside of your uh, day room. And only four people at a time. So you get to know your cellmate real well, and you don't have the opportunity to actually interact with good or bad influences. I found out what crazy people are really like. My first cellmate was about 6'6", had been on death row. He had one eye that shot off kind of up and to the right, and I had found out from somebody else a little bit later that, that, yeah, he was nuts. He'd been in and out of psych wards. He had pulled his eyeball out in a fit of, of being, you know, just deranged. And they got the eyeball back in, but it, it was, he was blind in that eye, and it, it really looked strange. He would, I would wake up, and he'd be, he'd be punching the wall, and he'd have blood all over the cell from, from busting his knuckles on the wall. Made me sleep kind of light. I was, you know, this guy was, he was nuts. Give me somebody to pray for, though. And I did a lot of that. But you have to, in, in prison, in, in, at least where I was at, if you want to go to church, you have to sign up for a call-out sheet. And they only do that once every six months to where you can sign up or take your name off of the call-out sheet every six months. If, if you sign up and you don't go, you go to the hole. If uh, you try to go and you're not, well, they won't let you out of your cell, so you can't go if you're not signed up. I signed up for everyone, every Christian call out I could and, and I was going and I got I got a lot of experience with different denominations I mean there were, every week there would be different a different denomination come in there'd be a black church come in a Calvinist church come in Baptist you name it uh, you, you get a good overview of, of the different types of of doctrines and, and religion some of it you might take in well some of it might raise your eyebrows but uh, I went on through my prison term completely and fully going to every religious event that I possibly could. Prayer meeting after prayer meeting, Bible study after Bible study. After I finally got out of maximum security where you, you had a little bit more freedom, you get involved with other Christians in prison. And there, there are a lot of pr- uh, Christians in prison. Unfortunately, you see an awful lot of them that want to leave Jesus inside the prison when they come out. I didn't want to be one of those kind of people. What we want and what we get are not always the same thing. I eventually wound up making parole after serving four years. I got out thinking I was going to be just an upstanding Christian. And I, and I was going to church. But I was not, I didn't, I was not in a good marriage. I'm not, I can't blame her for it. All I can do is blame myself for how I reacted to it. She would, uh, she, I changed in prison, she didn't. And uh, the way I reacted to her was I, I had to hit the bottle a lot. Well, okay, I didn't have to. I chose to hit the bottle a lot. I started becoming a part-time Christian. And I come to find out God don't want part-time Christians. I had to completely change my life, meaning I had to get out of that marriage. Now, my mom, my mom was a, when I went, whenever 
they divorced. My mom and dad divorced. My mom was a Baptist, upstanding Baptist, and she she was a God-fearing woman. While I was in prison, she discovered Pentecostal church, so she changed. Kind of scared me a little bit, but uh, she was extremely happy whenever I told her, Mom, I've I found God. And I can understand that. I can understand how that would make her happy. She started bringing pastors into jail to visit with me through the glass and the telephone, with the telephone. Having prayer meeting right there in, in the visiting room. And that was awesome. But when I got out of prison the last time, my mom was a gospel singer, and she was in a gospel band. She uh, knew that I liked music. I, I didn't really have any musical experience or singing experience but she loved I she knew I loved listening to the radio singing along with the radio I had played a little bit of guitar she got me to join her gospel band and uh, I think it was her way of helping me transition from being an inmate into walking with Christ and she was very aware that I would quite often come to these gospel events hungover or that I was itching to hurry up and get done with these gospel events so I could crack the seal on that bottle of vodka she wasn't happy about it, but I found out what she was doing. She was fighting for me the way a Christian's supposed to fight, with prayer. And then after we started doing this gospel band thing, I started having all these people come up to me. I prayed for you. They were complete strangers. You know, I prayed for you. We're so happy you're here. I prayed for you. And I thought, all these people are praying for me. What my mama did, she had gotten involved in, in something I'd never heard of called Prayer Warriors. And she had people praying for me all across the country, specifically for me, Kevin, specifically for being an alcoholic, a drug addict, for being in prison, for needing Jesus. And I think that's whenever that conviction really started hitting me, whenever I got arrested that second time, or when I was going back to prison the second time, the conviction hit me so bad, I think it was an answer to mom's prayers, to, to an answer to all those prayer warriors that had been praying all over the country for me. But uh, I joined mom's gospel band. I finally made the decision to change my life, and I had to get out of that marriage. After I got out of that marriage, I was, I was able to live as a Christian 24-7, and I still do. I thank God every day that before my mom passed of lung cancer, four years ago now, she was able to see that I was actually headed in the direction she had prayed for for so long. She knew my, my current wife and loved her. She was her mentor. I'll have to let Rochelle tell her side of that. But I never expected to get up in front of people and tell my testimony. That's not, I don't make any plans at all. I found out it doesn't do any good because the Lord's going to change in plans. I like to sing. I like to sing gospel music. So I figured that's what I would do. But so many people were aware of my past and had prayed for me. They actually asked me to start talking about it because they loved me and they loved my mom and they loved the fact that through Jesus Christ I was able to overcome and only because of Jesus Christ I was able to overcome. I hold on to Jesus' hand every single day tightly. Uh, I've been clean and sober now for years, something I never thought would ever happen. And even more so, I have more fun now than I've ever had. And I, and I can remember it all. I don't have to be embarrassed by 
my actions, even though I can get kind of silly and goofy. Uh, it's it's all in loving the Lord. But uh, because of giving my testimonies here and there, it's kind of really blew up in our ministry. Now it's okay. We get up, we sing so we can get into a church and give our testimonies. And I figured, okay, I'll give my testimonies, and I'm going to help these people that are where I was, these drug addicts, these alcoholics, these people in prison or have come out of prison. Well, once again, God opened my eyes, and that wasn't His particular plan as of yet. But things change. What I have found out was there are so many moms out there who have sons doing what I was doing. There's so many people out there that have a spouse that are either in prison or lost in addiction or alcoholism. These people are going to church and they pray and they don't see any answer to those prayers. And sometimes they lose hope. And I'm here to say that God answers prayers because I am here, I'm sure, because of my mama's prayers. My mama didn't give up. She didn't sit there and pray by herself in a closet. She enlisted the help of prayer warriors. She was specific. So many people knew me that I never knew about that have prayed for me. And prayer works. And during in our ministry, we keep a, a private prayer book and people will come up at our programs and, and they'll, they'll tell us about their hurts. And we'll write down names and uh, reasons to pray and we keep that prayer book. And we do pray for each and every prayer request we get and we pray with all of our heart. And we don't just pray once and forget about it. We take it with us. We live it because there's no other way to live. So uh, our story is, is ongoing. And I'm looking forward to every single day and every step we take because of a threefold cord. Me, the other third of Sunshine Road, Rochelle, but the main part of the cord is Jesus Christ. I've traveled down this road for so long Loneliness is putting out the fire I looked in the mirror this morning And Lord, I'm sure looking tired they say with age comes wisdom I know that I have seen a thing or two I start thinking back to my childhood And mama, I'm sure missing you These golden years don't seem so golden My silver lining Is turning gray When I kissed you goodbye For the last time A part of me went with you that day I'm not quite sure what happens When we die We'll never really know until we're gone 
No more Christmas cards or letters But through me your memory is living on These golden years don't seem so golden My silver lining is turning gray When I kissed you goodbye for the last time A part of me went with you that day These golden years don't seem so golden My silver lining is turning gray When I kissed you goodbye for the last time A part of me went with you that day Though I kissed you goodbye that last time I'll see you in heaven someday And now friends we've got Rochelle Nelson's testimony and I know you're going to enjoy this Here's Rochelle If you'll take a moment and just picture a little girl with dark brown hair, very straight, big brown eyes, number six out of seven kids. All she wants to do is be loved. I'm going to introduce you to, uh, it's not a drug, it's not an alcohol, but it is an addiction, and it's called codependency. Codependency on people. This little girl, she, uh, she went through school getting the best grades that she could just to make her mama proud because daddy wasn't in the picture. And uh, just to get a, you did great, or to go to a parent-teacher conference and hear them tell my mom what a good student I was and how good I was. and But I never got that. And as I was growing up, my grandma became my, my best friend. And uh, I cherish the memories with her, the fishing and staying up and watching Royals baseball games and eating high hole crackers and milk at 2.30 in the morning and talking about the Bible and Jesus. And she's where I got my, my uh, Christian foundation right there. It was my grandma, Mary Ellen Horn, a woman who had gone through a lot. And so had my mom. My mom had been married five times. And uh, I uh, unfortunately had seen my mom be beaten by my stepdad. And uh, even heard stories about another stepdad of mine pointing a gun in her face. 
lots of things happen in that little brown-eyed girl. Inappropriate touches and going through uh, the man who she envisioned as a dad figure committing suicide in first grade. So as this little girl's going through life and she's just clinging to every moment she can, trying to get as much love as she can, her best friend passes when she's 15. I lost my grandma, my rock. And I have to back up just a little. Nine years of age, when I was going to school, I had a friend. Her name back then was Heather Holloway. And I want to say it's Bowers now. A beautiful human being invited me to church. And even though Grandma taught me about Jesus and the Bible, and my mom had Bibles in the house, we didn't go to church. We didn't do any of that. And so I got invited to go to the First Baptist Church in Richmond, Missouri, where Brother Bob Dassel was the preacher. I asked my mama, I said, can I go? And she says, yeah, but you got to find your own ride. And so I did, and I started going to Sunday school, and I loved it. And I learned all the songs, the little songs about the New Testament and uh, Father Abraham and all the dance moves, getting dizzy and falling down. And I, I loved it. I loved the feeling that you got. Well, I remember this one day when I was nine years old. I'm sitting there in the church, and Brother Bob, he's, it's a First Baptist church, but there's a difference between a First Baptist church and a Southern Baptist. And I'm pretty sure he had Southern Baptists in him, because when this man preached the Word of God, and it came from the inner depths of his soul, the veins in his neck popped out, and he would sweat. And this one day he's talking about how Jesus went to the cross and died for sins. And he said, and he looked right at me and he said, he died for your sins. And I just, I broke. I just shattered. And I thought, wow, what a love. So I got baptized at the age of nine. Because of that, a few of my siblings had gotten baptized as well, and I thank God for that. Well, when my grandma passed, and there were things going on in the house, um, and I truly believe children live what they learn to a certain extent. doesn't mean you have to continue it, and that's where this testimony will come from. At the age of 16, there was a gentleman who was uh, 21, who started paying attention to me. I thought, wow, this is love. Started paying physical attention to me. He really loves me. And at the age of 16, I was pregnant with my first child. I cannot describe that marriage. I will tell you that it was short-lived and um, not healthy for me. It wasn't very healthy for my daughter. And uh, thank God I was able to get out of it. And uh, I had developed this feeling that I was not someone unless I had a man by my side. And that's codependency right there. A few years later, I found myself pregnant with my second daughter. 
that gentleman and I got engaged, but we never got married. And after five years, it didn't work out. So um, I did end up getting married one more time. And that was to the father of my twins. So I have four beautiful, beautiful daughters that God has blessed me with. And um, I, uh, I know what it feels like to be cheated on. And I was able to get out of that marriage. I'm not proud of my divorces. Um, in the first one, I, I tried to stick it out. I really did. There are some things that are hard to overcome. And I will say when a, when a woman says no, no means no. Or stop means stop. So I'm in my late 20s, early 30s. I have two failed marriages under my belt, and I have four beautiful daughters. Then this younger man comes along, starts paying attention to me, and I thought, man, what in the world's going on here? I said, I'm an older woman, and I have what was deemed baggage, and uh, still didn't understand what was wrong with me. He said he loved me. He said I loved my kids. And so we got into a relationship. And um, many broken chairs, holes in the walls, emotional, verbal, mental, and spiritual abuse of eight years. See, after I had my twins, I, I made it to where I couldn't have any more kids. Because at that time, I was married to their dad, and I thought, I want to be married to this man for the rest of my life. Never dreamed that he would cheat on me. This younger man knew that. I said, from the very get-go, if you're wanting kids, you're looking at the wrong person. And he took that. And in one of the times when he was either drinking or high, he says, well, you can't have any more babies. What good are you? No wonder your ex-husband cheated on you. No wonder no one wants to be around you. Satan's real, folks. And he will, he will get into you any way he can. And he loves using people that you love to do his dirty work. And it just seemed like all these people that who were supposed to love me had hurt me so much. I remember as a little girl, I would hunker down in the bathroom and lock the door, and I would bawl. And I would beg God to harden my heart because it seemed like I was just hurting all the time and crying. God, harden my heart, please. I remember hearing this, this voice this one day, I can't, and someday you'll understand. And I got, I got a little mad. So, here this man is who's supposed to love me. And he's saying all these mean things and he's intimidating me. And it's to the point I am praying that he would hit me. Because this is in the era where it was like the only abuse that was satisfactory to the public for you to even cry about was if you got hit. And I would pray that he would hit me so I would have a reason to leave. 
and my heart being so big, loving my family so much, and loving just people in the community, and just hearing all of the words, you're no good, what good are you, you're trash, you know. It got to the point I just simply loved the world, and I loved my family enough. I was tired of hurting them. See, I believed the words that he said. And so one night, I tried to take my life. Not understanding the pain it would cause my family, just thinking that I was sparing them. I don't know if you guys have ever felt God touch you. But in the era that we were raised, because I'm 47, And my mama switched me. A good parent is going to grab a hold of you when you need to be grabbed hold of. Then that night, God reached down and he grabbed a hold of me. And I physically felt his hands on my shoulders. And he shook me like a loving daddy. And he said, don't you understand I don't make junk? I'm so tired of my daughter listening to the lies of this world. You're the daughter of the utmost king, the highest king. And I love you. I sent my son to die for you. And he saved me that night. I'd like to say that I was able to just jump out of that relation lickety-split. But with God's help putting people in my life, at just the right time, I was able to get out of it. I still hadn't quite understood who holds my self-worth. And so I had some more failed relationships and I got hurt by this man. He was supposed to be a really good Christian man. But I believe he was actually used to show me who is supposed to hold my self-worth. It got to the point I, I just got so tired of my heart being broke and I gave my heart completely back to God where it should have been from the very beginning. I said, God, just take it back. You made it. You created it. You breathed life into me. Who better to hold it? And so I finally got my own place and I got my own vehicle. I'm working a job as an activity director at a nursing home. I'm getting to love on residents and remind them that they have purpose. My life is beautiful. And I told God when I gave my heart back to him, I said, if. (laughs) Such a powerful word, if. If there is a man who is worthy of holding my heart, I said, then you give it to him. I said, and if not, that's okay, because I still have you. See, that's when I discovered that I had codependency on other people. And maybe someone who's out there listening is just now realizing it that they have it too. See, it's okay to love people, but you have to be able to 
have self-worth through Christ. Because as human beings, we let each other down. To this day, God has blessed me with a wonderful Christian man that I'm married to now for two years. And as much as I love him, and I know God put us together, he doesn't hold my self-worth. If for any reason God decides to call him home, I know God still has a purpose for me. There will be pain, but because of that purpose, when you give your life over to Jesus Christ, life doesn't become a field of flowers that you're just walking through. You're going to have struggles. You're also going to have joys. But in the end, it's all worth it because it leads to the glory of God. And when my time on this earth is done because he says it's done and he calls me home, I'm not worried about no mansion on high. I'm not worried about a crown or a robe. I just want to go sit at his feet and I'll bathe his feet in my tears and I'll dry his feet with my hair because it's only because of him that I'm here today. See, you're never too far down in the darkness. You're never too dirty, no matter what anyone says. You're never too broken that God can't fix you, that He can't reach in that darkness and pull you out and love you unconditionally. If for some reason at this moment you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't even have to stop what you're doing. All you have to do is just reach out to Him and say His name. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And then just take Him in and let Him love you. Give me more than I could ever ask You wipe away all shadows from my past You are with me in everything I do I'm trusting you When I say I love you the words are not enough I want to thank you for everything you've done you give me the courage to go on when all hope is gone you are what dreams are made of you
to take these days Sometimes I get lost along the way You're still with me everywhere I go sure appreciate you letting us ride along with you in the cab but we don't want to leave you until you know that you know that you know if you died today if you'd go to heaven or not we want to make sure that you're saved and on your way to heaven and if you've never asked Jesus into your heart it's a simple little prayer or maybe you did when you was young and you haven't lived for God Now's the time to make a U-turn and come back. God allows U-turns. All you have to do is pray from your heart and ask him to come into your life. Just pray a simple little prayer like, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart and I will live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Driver, if you prayed that prayer with me, Give us a call here at Lonesome Road Ministries at 618-383-2107 or call Chaplain Daryl Spicer. At 615-663-3199. We'd love to hear from you. We want to walk this walk with you. If you don't want to call us, call somebody and let them know that you fell in love with Jesus. And today we're going to close our program with one more song by Sunshine Road. I was standing in the kitchen after dinner on a Sunday Not thinking much of nothing, listening to the cowboys play When he picked up my old guitar, I know he couldn't play a chord I had to stop and listen As Grandpa softly praised the Lord Oh Lord my God 
When I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe displayed Then in my soul What was lost had come alive Then it took me back To another place in time Yeah, back to the days When Jesus filled my heart That all happened in an instant When Grandpa sang how great thou art He's gone on to be with Jesus But his memory remains And I think about him often When I recollect that day How something so simple As an old man and a song Can take away with sinner And bring him back home to God When Christ shall come With shout of acclamation And take me home What joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow In humble adoration And then proclaim My God, how great Thou art And in my soul What was lost had come alive And it took me back To another place in time Yeah, back to the day day that Jesus healed my heart That all happened in an instant Grandpa sang how great thou art I'm closer now with Jesus Cause Grandpa sang how great thou art